0: Welcome to a new edition of Hugh at Home and this one will be very interesting because it's a subject matter that I do not know a lot about but if you're like me I truly want to learn more and so we're going to take a deep dive into history but the history in the church and specifically with women so my very special guest is Karen Douglas welcome to Hugh at Home Karen and just to preface our relationship uh, I was working on a fundraiser for something that you were volunteering for and like always we get into a conversation and you were telling me on the work that you were doing as a researcher but more importantly your I guess relationship with the church for such a long long time and I find it so fascinating so I'm going to start with the question Karen. tell us a little bit about your background and your passion for the church.
1: Okay, thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity. I love to talk about this stuff. <laughs> so, so in the United Church tradition, which I am part of, I am a diaconal minister from the word deacon, which most people will recognize. And in our denomination, that tradition is rooted in a ministry of deaconesses, um, a ministry that was specific to women. And um, when I started to develop my identity as a diaconal minister, In the 80s when I was in formation, I just began to appreciate how important the rootedness in the ministry those women did. So in the United Church um, starting in 1895 with the Methodist tradition which is part of the history of the United Church, women could become deaconesses in Canada and between 1895 and 1977 when there's a bit of a change in how we view things um, there were about 700 women who served the church and their story is often rendered invisible for a lot of reasons and I just wanted to make their stories known and I've dedicated a lot of my time and my academic work to telling the story of these women. So what kind of work Would they do, Karen? Yes. So, of course, it evolved over the period of time. But initially, uh, the both Methodist and Presbyterian deaconesses largely did social work, and uh, and before there was social work was a profession. It was developing. Uh, along the same time, the idea of a, an official social worker, but they did social work in inner city settings and um, and mission work both within Canada and um, in other parts of the world. But that evolved um, so that they started to do educational work as well with children particularly or with women. Mm-hmm. Um, And then eventually, because the church's core needs always rise to prominence, they were recruited to fill pulpits when there was a shortage of people. So the church in the United Church tradition officially welcomed women into ordination in 1926. The first woman was ordained ten years later. But it wasn't until the 1970s that women were really in the church in large numbers as ordained um, women in uh, leading worship and, and in working in congregations. But these deaconesses did a lot of the work that a minister would do um, early on, uh, without, of course, the pay
0: mm-hmm. uh, and
1: not the often not the same recognition.
0: Oh, well, let's talk about the recognition. Uh, when they took on these positions, did they have to forfeit other positions or
1: relationships? Sure. So a big piece of, um, of the history is that the women, when they became deaconesses, um, when they uh, were, became members of the Order, had to leave for a couple of reasons. The main one being if they got married. And, of course, um, given a choice of a poor-paying vocation in the church and an opportunity to be married, most women chose marriage. Although there are stories of women who declined marriage because their conviction to serving the church was so core to who they were, they decided they would remain as deaconesses. Uh, so <clears throat> so it it painted the order as a temporary, kind of frivolous thing that something you would do until your real vocation of wife and mother came along. In fact, that's how the church advertised. Is there a young woman in your uh, congregation who is not yet married, who might serve the church for a few years? And then this is like just the classic. And who knows, the church might get two workers for the price of one because uh, well over 150 of those 700 women married ordained men and became Clergy wives, trained volunteers, expected to work alongside their partners in the work that they were doing. So, um, but the reality is, half of the women who went into diaconal ministry did not, uh, as deaconesses, did not marry. So, wha- so then there were sort of these two views: it was a f- something for young, f- you know, fleeting, or it was spinsters who were dried up and had nothing better to do in life, and so would continue as uh, serving the church. And that's the big picture. I think though for most Deaconesses who remained in the Order for their entire careers, the relationships they built with people were solid, and the people they served in their outreach or their congregations, they, they knew they weren't dried up husbands, I mean they knew they were vital um creative and and doing important ministry but it 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 goes with how we view women right oh my goodness like this is so amazing
0: and yet they are probably responsible for in encouraging and gaining more members right coming to church
1: to spread the word yes so they they did do a a good job at being on the fringes so Mm -hmm. in the women who served like in in winnipeg um, in the north end there was All People's Mission, which was a really large enterprise mostly to Ukrainian immigrants, right, at the time, like I'm talking uh, pre, uh, pre-First World War and into the 20s. And uh, yeah, they were, they were working with the poorest of poor in the city. And some, you know, some of the motivation was recruitment. Um, and we have to know that we, we have to look at what they did in the context of their time. Mm -hmm. really colonial in their attitudes you know very little awareness about how they were stomping on indigenous people's traditions you know uh, that just was not the character of the time so now we would be critical of that approach Mm -hmm. but if but it's important in history to see history from its context and so for the time their work in some ways was quite progressive Um, because they were willing to go places people didn't want to to go. And in terms of um, others who worked um, in what was called missionary at large, um, they would go to the furthest edges of civilization, (laughs) little towns in northern Saskatchewan, um, uh, often on bicycle uh, or um, with a horse-drawn sleigh to get around from congregation to congregation. And like basically they went where no man was going to go right because it was there were other choices men didn't have to go there and um, so yeah so they took the gospel with them to um, to the edges when you learn about
0: all of these different stories Karen and uh, you apply it to your own work what kind of effect has it had on you
1: yeah so as i said earlier i from the moment i discovered the stories of these women um i felt really connected to them so when i and i've i've spent years and years and years doing the research pulling together stories and photographs when i open up a file i feel like i'm opening a family album Mm -hmm. i i feel this really direct connection and and I think especially around, so around the disjoining, that's what it was called when women had to leave, um, the church apologized to those women in 2006 officially. And it was not, it was in some ways important and done with sincerity, but not entirely a good, uh, it was not entirely a good thing the way the church enacted the apology or followed up with action. And um, and so uh, I've learned from, from those women and through that experience about how, um, about how important it is to acknowledge our history and take responsibility for our history. and that has so many parallels in so many other pieces of, uh, of how we are in the world these days. so um, yeah, so it, those women inspire me um, and keep me going some days, I think. <laughs>
0: Well, what did you say the number was, 700 women? Yes. Are there that many women involved in the church today?
1: Well, interestingly, the, the church, starting actually in the, in the early part of the 1900s, um, the church has been, uh, been losing men. Um, maybe religion is often has always been something that women flock to more because of its emotive and spiritual kind of aspects, even though women weren't in leadership. Nellie McClung in 19, uh, 1915 in her book, um, writes about the feminization of the church. So in these days, as the church has declined in importance in culture, men have left it, mm-hmm. and they've left the leadership. So in many uh, denominations, women now dominate in terms of church leadership mm-hmm. because we're small and fractured. It's still true that um, in many denominations, while in the Roman church, of course, there's very few women in leadership, in um, that kind of leadership. Um, but in many denominations, men still hold the prestigious places. Okay. Um, but the United Church maybe for lots of reasons um we have a pretty good balance of women in significant uh, positions of authority mm-hmm. that does not mean we've overcome sexism at all but um but that's it's another interesting topic yes <laughs> it, it's, it's interesting to see how women um are in uh in leadership and then what women do with that leadership you know is
0: mm-hmm. and is that's our challenge. always yeah And even if you take a look at the history now, and you had mentioned uh, these women would go where no man would go, Um, and thinking about the relationships that they started, it is the beginnings of social work. Do you see the church, religion, becoming part
1: of social work today? So the church is so diverse, Mm -hmm. right? And so we've been hearing in the media... This last couple of weeks about the Roman Church and the apology to Indigenous people, and um, you know it, it. That's that's a that's one way that the church um, is manifest, and but there are other expressions, and and when you get down to, in many 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 Christian communities service really service in the world is really an important aspect of who they are it may be a minority of the individuals within the body of that mm-hmm. community who actually carry it out but the sentiment to be of service to the world is very strong and you know you just have to read especially well the whole bible but especially parts of the new testament which christians of course uphold to to be motivated to that you cannot ignore it the the gospel message is so strongly about looking out for your neighbor, serving each other, loving God, loving your neighbor. They go hand in hand. And, um, and so many churches um, really are doing a good job at that. Unfortunately, as the church declines and ages, um, it's harder to keep that going and then you kind of fold in on yourself. And, and once you start looking only inward, you're dead as a christian community because you know you'll just die so um, we don't want that (laughs) no and the church is you know i think the church has a really important message to be delivering Mm -hmm. right now um for one thing we have to we have a responsibility to to have a reformed view of colonialism like we we provided the church provided the theology that undergirded colonialism and um, and we have to provide a different theology now, um, mm-hmm. because like the Pope was saying, you know, we need a new way of, of uh, a new doctrine uh, that replaces the doctrine mm-hmm. of discovery. We need a new doctrine about how we are in relationship with one another. So, and the church also has a strong message about empathy and community. And, you know, we, we feel like That's strained in our culture um, in Canada. It certainly
0: is. So, Karen, you are going to come back because, yes, I want to know your opinions on the Pope's visit. Okay. Talk more about truth and reconciliation, the work that was done by these deaconesses, and how in the future we can get more people, and not necessarily definitely more women, but of all genders, right? We now have to be thinking more outside the box. So... Don't go away Karen will be back and we'll be engaged in some more conversation but right now we'll have a profile on a newcomer who have found her passion through art with Artbeat Studios You're watching Hugh at home Girl,
2: you know what's up I can't say what up in ukraine and i lived in israel for many years and i moved to canada and i felt like i lost so many things on the way and my inspiration wasn't even there it was just working and all my energy was going into things like that and raising my kids and i was not thinking about coming back to becoming an artist as i was and it was an accident that I met a wonderful person, Lori Green. She passed away years ago, but I'm grateful so much for everything she did for me. She introduced me to Studio Central. 2011, I believe. Uh, I started attending Studio Central, and my functioning was improving from the workshops I was attending, getting some routine. After my four hospitalizations, it was the place I could actually function at. The shifts at Studio Central are two hours for everyone unless you want to pick up more. And I think that's a great opportunity and possibility for people who suffer and recover from mental health conditions. But also it's perfect for mentally absolutely healthy people who know how art heals and how it gives your heart some kind of a destination, something to go to, to follow your heart. If you're a little bit lost, or if you know for sure what you want, that's the place you want to go to.
0: Welcome back to Hew at Home. My special guest is Karen Douglas. And Karen, I should be calling you Dr. Karen Douglas or perhaps Reverend.
1: Yes, well, <laughs> I'll accept the doctor title because I earned that. Um, but I don't like to be called Reverend. It's it's not a tradition coming out of the Deaconess movement. They, they didn't assume that title. But I'm not comfortable with it because it means revered. And I don't feel all that special, <laughs> and and I think that's a, that's you know I think it, it points to a new way that we have to be in the world actually mm-hmm. because we we see ourselves as humanity above the rest of creation, mm-hmm. you know we we take that Genesis story and really milk it in ways that we we could interpret it differently but we don't we have dominion over the world, and um, and as Christians we have said we are superior you know uh, to other faith traditions indigenous muslim you know, almost every faith tradition we are to be revered for who we are and we we just have to let go of that it's not it's part of the colonial mm-hmm. perspective and it's it's not been very helpful so as i was saying earlier like uh, these deaconesses did terrific work but blind to things. So we had, there was a a movement of Deaconesses um, in United Church tradition who were about, who were, did uh, mission to the Ukrainians. There was some of that in the city of Winnipeg but out in rural um, Alberta and rural Manitoba and their goal was to convert those people to Christianity. So even though these folks were Eastern Rite Christians, that didn't count, you know. So it just, it, it's, it, sometimes when we look back like that, we can laugh and say, how ridiculous, how could they not have seen that? And then, you know, but then we need to say, so what are we not seeing? Mm-hmm. Where are our blinders about things we assume um, are necessary or are right? And we have to be critical thinkers, you know, so...
0: So I we were talking to you about the Pope's uh, recent visit to Canada, new truth and reconciliation, uh, the residential schools. Even we've been inundated, you know, in the last year and a half or so, and um, it, it's horrifying. And he said, "Yes, we have to change the doctrine. Where do you begin
1: to change, and
0: how long will that take?" And will you change the minds of thousands?
1: Mm -hmm. So three things. One, it has started to change. So I think there's reason to be hopeful. And I just hearken to the words of Marie Sinclair, who um, was the commissioner, one of the Mm -hmm. the lead commissioner with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. He, He said, it took us all these generations to get here. It's going to take us that many generations to get out and I think there's a lot of wisdom. That's not an excuse for not taking action, but it is takes a long time to undo things. But I think it starts with um, with small things, like mm-hmm. the. I mean, it's not really small, but like the apology. It's, mm-hmm. it's iconic, right? If it stops there, it, it yeah. won't mean anything.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but if if people open their eyes and say, "Gee, hmm," must be something here to think about, then there's room for shifting. Look how much we changed through COVID, right? Mm -hmm. Change is certainly possible if we're motivated to do it. So it's it's structuring the motivation. So in some ways, paying reparations is motivation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's one reason why they were built in. And let's hope the Roman Church now, after the apology, will follow through and pay their share of the reparations, which have not been paid. The other denominations have paid their shares. Um, Not that that makes us better, but at least we have been compliant with the expectations. Yes, exactly.
0: When you're presenting um, to your church, do you kind of want to now pose those questions? to them, to make them think, to
1: make maybe a, a different decision than they would've normally? Certainly for my work, I mm-hmm. work at the United Church of Meadowwood here in Winnipeg, and you come on any given Sunday, you're probably going to hear me talk about something related to that, because um, it is—it's a priority the United Church has established for ourselves—is to work mm-hmm. on reconciliation, and so I'm trying to bring it as a lens to almost everything we do, and and I think that would be true in a number of other United like in the United Church in general and um, other denominations like. Um, the Anglican Church and mm-hmm. the Presbyterians who were also involved in the residential schools. I'm not so familiar with what's happening in Roman churches. Um, and, and you said something about, you know, for a few years we've been aware, but in 1976, the Saskatchewan Conference in the United Church had a year of repentance in recognition of uh, the not so much focused on residential schools, but around mm-hmm. um, what had happened with Indigenous people in the church. So we've been working on this stuff for a long time already, or at least in, from our lifetime yes. feels like a long time. Yes. Um, it, but things are growing. So what, for myself, um, I was in, in, worked in an Indigenous community in 1983. I, I was minister there for three years. And when I look at what is different for that community now, mm-hmm. um, however, you know, like nearly 40 years later, it just is astounding. I'm sure for many people who are still struggling with the trauma of intergenerational um, abuse, et cetera, et cetera, it's hard, it can be hard to see that, but amazing things have happened and amazing things have happened in the church um, Mm -hmm. as well. So there is there are things happening but yes i'm uh, you know i'm sure some people are tired of listening to me but they they're the ones who need to hear right yes, yes, so I know. i'm not going to stop <laughs> s- stop doing so, so it so there you go yes yeah, yeah um
0: so now let's switch it a bit to the future and getting more women young women Maybe not the campaign that they did yeah, <laughs> way right. back then for a deaconess. No, so don't worry, girls. <laughs> we won't be doing that. But what kind of, I guess, offerings are there now? Opportunities?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, you know, we're in such interesting times. Maybe every time is an interesting time. but um, and, and it's hard to know what will attract a new generation to Christianity. There's... There are some denominations which have success with a kind of, um, I don't know, like an upbeat sort of, mm-hmm. and, but lots of theorists say that's really, it's an attraction to the shell, maybe not the core message, and how long people will stick to that is, remains to be seen. Um, but the, the, ch- the church... Christendom, that idea that the church is the nation is you know is dying in lots of places it 's dead, so what will emerge maybe will be more authentic. it may be smaller, it will be smaller at least in our context. it may be less institutional and more of a movement and that 's what deaconesses were about in a way. they worked on the edges where the institution wasn 't so strong mm-hmm. and it was more a gathering. Um, people coming together it gives us a chance to abandon things which were baggage and go back to what's core Mm -hmm. Um, love your neighbor love yourself um, follow in Jesus way which was about calling out the powerful raising up those who are least empowered befriending the lepers you know that would be like a street person today whatever so those have a those messages have appeal um so I, and women maybe have well and we we need to even stop thinking about men and women right like that's the whole new challenge i i i'm on with that but i i struggle to integrate that into my thinking because that dichotomy framework of male female is so inbred into who I am Mm -hmm. we start to think about God as they which actually has its roots in Old Testament scripture so that's not a new idea but we didn't pay attention to it before because it didn't make sense to us now we're reclaiming that they God um, you know, created in my image uh, men and women they you know it's not like God's a male or a female right so um, so, uh, there's lots of possibility as we think about but Oh, dizzying to think about it, you know? Um, and then, yeah, so we have to let go of the things which we counted on, like public recognition, money from, mm. you know, that would keep a, a, a building going and keep a staff in place. And think about being the church in new ways um, on the streets, on the edges caring for each other and young people will find that interesting i think but you know (laughs) how do we communicate that that's a big big challenge well that always is but uh, for yourself though i guess
0: doing all this research all of the years that you've been with the church how has it kind of fulfilled you karen
1: yes well most days i'm appreciative (laughs) You know, it's always that when you work for an institution that you also have your faith rooted in, um, that can be really difficult. But um, the church has given me an amazing amount of um, support to try things, to be places, to do things, to express myself, um, to be part of community, uh, to have people tell you that. The intimate parts of their story because they trust you, and that's not just because I'm in ministry, but I think that's something that happens within Christian community when people build that bond. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are are real gifts, and and there's something about like. You know, Jesus was an important character, and I'm not saying he's more important than any other faith traditions, um, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, uh, the people that they follow, but he had something to say. Is it better than Nelson Mandela or, you know, other people who are very Christ-like in their proclamations? Well, maybe not, but we have the power of this tradition we have these stories that we have to go back to every week we have to read them and they tell us love your neighbor love yourself love God Um, so when we want to get ourselves down a bad path all about me 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 the stories are there that say no 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 you (laughs) have to look at at your neighbor and I think you know that's been a gift for me it's a struggle you know you have to live with that but what Mm a enrichment for my life so you know so i am an evangelist i guess you know for maybe for faith more than even church um Mm -hmm. because i think it can be a a real it can be a root when you're feeling kind of rootless wow so it has been so wonderful
0: i guess my last question all these stories that you're collecting are is it going to be a book or where can the general public where can we get these stories sure
1: so i have do- i am in the process of documenting as of the lives of as many of those women as i can i keep getting distracted on things <laughs> but i have actually written about 80 biographies um, and i have a whole bunch more in process and i keep saying when i retire which <laughs> my gray hair you can tell isn't going to be too many more years into the future um, I'm going to go back to that project. So I have a website. Oh, and that is? Uh, uccdeaconesshistory.ca and, uh, and it, yeah, you can explore that. Where uh, And I hope one day, I have produced a couple of small resources the, and some videos and things there on that website as well. And one day I may produce a book. Um, but, I think you should. Yeah, we'll see. Yes. Uh, but uh, my website's the big thing where I been working and um, Okay.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Karen, for spending this time and sharing your wisdom, but also the information. And, you know, I think for all of us, we're all on this journey, this journey of, of hope, but also of repairing, you know, and I think conversation is the first start. Mm -hmm. And You are so right. So thank you so much, Karen. Thank you. All right. So Special thank you to all of our guests on today's show. And as always, stay healthy and safe. And we'll see you next time on You at Home.